Okay, this is overnight. Why don't we cross straight to the United States? Celeste Katzmaston is there, our Boston correspondent. Celeste, a very good morning or afternoon or good evening. I don't know what time it is. Uh, Welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning. There you go. Indeed. Cold morning, I believe, in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, it is coming. This weekend is going to be really, even for Boston, even for New England, it is going to be cold. They're saying something like wind chills in the area of negative 40 uh, Fahrenheit. Wow. <laughs> that is cold. That is frostbite in minutes cold. So what do you do when it's minus 40 in a city, a major city, or at least in Massachusetts, but certainly in the Bay Area there, that, that part of the uh, uh, that part of Massachusetts, like, if it's really hot, you know, eventually, you know, you can get air conditioning maybe if that works. Stay somewhere cool. When it's freezing cold, I mean, that affects everything. How do you deal with it? I mean, the main thing is to try to avoid going outside. And this is going to be more of a cold snap than a sustained cold. But to really try to sort of avoid it as much as possible. And uh, that's why during times like this, you know, extreme cold, this is when people get really concerned, especially concerned, I should say, about um, people who are homeless, people who are going to be outside for extended periods of time. I mean, it really is uh, life-threatening cold. So try to avoid it as much possible. If you uh, do have to go out to try to make sure that you're near somewhere where you can go back in and get warmed up to, you know, limit your exposure as much as possible, dress in layers and so on. But it, it is dangerous stuff. Yes, because you can get frostbite within, you know, a quarter of an hour or so. And if you're having to work outside, I presume if it's that cold, do mail deliverers, I presume they don't have to deliver the mail. What about policemen on point patrol or, or people like that? I mean, what happens there? Yeah, I mean, there are people, this is going to be over a weekend, so you may have a, a relatively limited number of people who have to work. But yeah, there are essential workers, police, firefighters. They can't put it off until later. They have to be out there. And so, they, you know, you have special cold gear and certainly the technology of of dressing for cold has improved a lot since my younger days. Like I was definitely that kid in the snowsuit who couldn't move their arms. Hi, mom, mm. <laughs> you know, with the three, with the three hats and stuff. But um, yeah, again, it is, it is actually shockingly cold in some uh, areas of North of here, as a matter of fact, at a place called Mount Washington in uh, New Hampshire, they're looking at something like negative 100. Which, no. Yeah. No. I it's mean, that's just, colder than Antarctica, where it's minus 24. You cannot be out in that stuff. It, it will kill you. Minus 100. Yeah, or worse, or lower. Yeah, yeah. That's the wind chill, not the wind chill, Correct. not the actual. So Correct. it feels, it'll be minus 10, feels like minus 100. Yeah, I'm not going to quibble with it. If it wants to be minus 100, then, you know, have at it. I'm going to stay home sure. and, like, have some have some cocoa. But when it goes to minus 100... I mean, there are going to be people who want to go outside to experience minus 100, aren't there? Yes, and I encourage them strongly not to do that. Wow, minus 100. This uh, is kind of, we're moving into record-breaking areas in Boston, though, aren't we? Yeah, they're saying it could be. We're we're not sure. And again, this is wind chill versus actual high temperature, low temperature. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be super scary. And you know, even just stuff you don't think of, like is it safe to drive your car? No, in, well, you can't in, in even start your car cold? in weather like that. 
yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just not, I mean, it, it's just not a great idea to be involved in it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds cool to say I was walking around in negative 40 wind chill, mm. but, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you get a t-shirt for that. I yeah. Don't. Well, you don't want a t-shirt. You want to, you know, overcoat. <laughs> um, is it snowing though? Like, is that, does that make it worse or is it actually not snowing? It's not snowing. It's not snowing. Um, this is just going to be some huge, a major, major cold front that's going to move in. And then actually by Saturday afternoon, it's going to be relatively decent. I think it will be safe to go out. Uh, we're planning to be out or at least out and about, if not standing around outside being cold. But it, in the morning, we're actively avoiding going outside because it's it's yeah. too cold to be safe. P2 listens to us in Wisconsin. He says... You know, when temperatures like this, you dream of Magnetic Island, which is an island off the coast of Queensland. Uh, I also at this time think, you know, 3rd of February here in Australia, 2nd of February there, but it'll be 3rd of February pretty soon. That was the day that Buddy Holly died. And that plane crashed because of the, you know, the freezing cold weather and the pilot error, basically. So when people think, oh, yeah, Christmas, that's winter. Christmas is the start of winter. This is actual winter. This is midwinter at the moment. Um, at this time of the year, isn't it? Yeah, this is when it's really super sort of January, February, and then towards the, the end of March, uh, might start seeing things turn, but, uh, this is the tough part. This is the tough part of, of being in New England. And we've got uh, Groundhog Day coming up pretty soon. We'll find out whether there'll be six more weeks of winter. Okay. However, there are some people who are not staying indoors, Celeste, and one of them is Nikki Haley. Now, I kind of see her as one of the few electable Republicans, someone who, uh, you know, is is palatable to people on both sides. You know, she's an interesting character. She's a woman of colour. She spent time at the United Nations under President Trump. She's one of the few people as part of his administration that hasn't been tainted by uh, their association with President Trump. She's been a governor as well, so there's that executive experience. She's ticking a lot of boxes, and she wants to run for president. Right. So she is a former governor of South Carolina uh, who was not an early Trump supporter uh, back in the day, uh, actually attended uh, events where she was out there in support of Marco Rubio, another guy who obviously uh, wanted the Republican nomination, didn't get it. But she's a former governor. And then she did have some sort of mild, at least, reconciliation with Trump, became uh, ambassador to the United Nations in his administration. But then she did leave that post. And she is, uh, you know, not to not to mince words, she is a Republican. There's no question about that. She's not this sort of randomly independent uh, politician that's out there uh, with super liberal views or anything. But she definitely does not go to the degree of Trump and Trumpism more broadly. Uh, she's known, for example, of uh, being a governor of South Carolina who supported the removal of the Confederate flag from the Capitol grounds and things like that, which obviously probably angered or offended a lot of people. But Yeah, but she, she did was that out there. maybe because she believed in it, but she also did it because it got her on the national stage. That was the first time a lot of people have heard of Nikki Haley and because it would win her votes down the track. I mean, I'm not saying that she did it for political reasons. She may have really believed in it, but it didn't hurt her. Well, look, I mean, she I think that every kind of decision like that, frankly, is a political calculation. Yes. I would love to believe as much as anybody that, that uh, 
politicians are pure of heart and soul. Uh, but, you know, they have votes to think about. They have optics to think about. So, yeah, no no question about it. Uh, but I just, you know, to make the point that she is certainly not sort of the embodiment of of super Trumpism, uh, probably more moderate or, you know, arguably a little bit more towards the the Ron DeSantis, uh, another governor, Ron DeSantis, uh, who's being talked about for president, uh, governor of Florida currently. But, you know, Nikki Haley has been a little bit off the scene for a while. It remains to be seen if people remember her, if they warm up to her, if they, uh, you know, if she can actually make some inroads. She did say in the past that she would not run if Trump was running. Trump is actively running. So he's he's sort of taking some uh, taking a few moments here and there to remind her of the fact that she said she wouldn't run if he was in the race. However, yes, he may be running, but it's still a year before the first primaries. So, yeah, he may drop out at some point. He might not go well in the primaries. Who knows? You know, everyone is running now. They've got a year to establish themselves as a likable or electable candidate. I would think that, um, you know, a moderate, semi-moderate Republican like Nikki Haley, she might be running to be vice president. That's that's quite possible that, you know, to balance the ticket, man, woman, you know, south, north, whatever. Uh, she she ticks a lot of boxes in that regard as well, that uh, maybe she's got her... I'm, I'm sure she'd love to be president, but the way to become president sometimes is to be vice president first. Right. And she's been talked about as a potential vice presidential yes. candidate before as well. She has delivered the uh, Republican response to the State of the Union, I believe, things like that, where she's been on that on that national stage. But she does have some time to uh, to look at the uh, the landscape and decide what might be best for her. Sure. Mm, OK. So, um, you know, presumably she's now got to raise a hell of a lot of money to uh, run for president. Right. And, you know, relative to Donald Trump or certainly relative to Joe Biden as well, she she's younger. She's got some time to think about it. Maybe she's testing the waters now if, if she dips in and she doesn't see that uh, going up against Trump is a great path to victory. You know, she can at least establish herself uh, and and look at doing this in a future cycle. This has been um, a week where the vice president has actually been seen it seems, for the first time in a long time. And that is, uh, she went to the uh, funeral of Tyree Nichols, uh, the, the man who was beaten to death by police in Memphis. Uh, how did that go down? Yeah, I mean, she's been out there somewhat, Vice President Harris. And uh, to be fair, for the most part, the vice president's job is not to upstage the president and to to not be sort of drawing attention to herself. And I think that most good vice presidents understand that to be their their duty. But, uh, you know, this is a, an issue on which she was able to to speak out and, and make a statement, you know, obviously from a different place, coming from a different place than uh, President Biden, maybe other people in the cabinet. But that's certainly the, the Tyra Nichols case has been something that uh, has been of uh, great concern and just extremely, extremely disturbing and, and sort of another chapter in our our continuing issue of trying to deal with police brutality. Yeah. And just while we talk about that for a moment, but the fact mm. that it was five African-American police that administered this unnecessary beating, that's, despite what everything else that happened when this, this terrible case, that to me is the most shocking part. That it, the, How did that happen? Right. So, I well, look, I mean, um, 
I think that a lot of people have been looking at this particular case and seeing that the officers uh, involved were black and saying, well, you know, at one point, obviously, this is wrong. But on the other point, you know, usually when you have these police brutality cases, especially sort of in this this Trump or post-Trump era, you have a lot of people getting out there and saying, uh, back the blue, support our police. You don't understand what law enforcement has to deal with. Um, but in this case, a lot of those voices have been pretty quiet or even silent. And is that because the officers involved uh, are are not white? So that's that's been a whole sort of separate discussion. I mean, look, I can't get on the radio here with you and try to justify what no you one see is justifying. In those, it. It's appalling. Those, I mean, I. It's 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 just how do I explain why something like that happens? It shouldn't happen. Uh, police departments know um, that this is sort of reprehensible, that um, that there's body cam footage, that people are now actively recording these things uh, independently, that people are watching the police. And the fact that all of those things combined, that, that there can be uh, prison sentences. And we've seen prison sentences for police officers involved in these terrible cases. If we're at a point where none of those things is a deterrent, I understand that there are extreme situations in policing. I, I cannot speak to what it's like to sure, be in one absolutely. of those situations as a police officer. Yes. But, I mean, there's just no way to look at, at what happened there. No, and, I mean, that was not it. an extreme situation in any way. And, you know, the thing that always comes back to me when you see this, and it goes back to Rodney King, because that was when, you know, handy cams and that sort of thing started coming in and people were filming this sort of stuff. That prior to that had been going on for, well, thousands of years, but let's say, you know, 100 years or so with police or in the US, and no one believed them, or it just was unreported or people died and that was it. Now we are seeing the evidence of what people have talked about for decades, if not longer than that. And people wonder, oh, why is it happening now? It's always happened, it's just now we're getting footage of it. And what we saw with this case was, I think, the most shocking of all. And when you see what happened with George Floyd and Trayvon Martin and a whole lot of other people, that where this has been the same sort of thing, although not police with Trayvon Martin. But this was the worst of the lot. I, I just could not believe what I was seeing. And I don't know how the Memphis Police Department can come back from this. That people would say, well, you need to employ more black officers. These guys were black. That's what I don't get. Look, it's going to be some sort of larger issue. I don't think it's just about the the color of the officers. Obviously, I, I don't think you're making that point. But, uh, you know, it's more about the training. It's about the mentality. It's about the culture. There is a culture of policing. there, And I think that as more and more of these questions actually have been raised about the behavior of police, there is certainly sort of a tightening of the ranks in a lot of places where the culture is seen as under siege and uh, people don't understand that we go out there and risk our lives every day to protect you. And it's very easy to be sort of an armchair critic and not understand. But again, the, the video footage that we see, the recordings that we physically see have been able to somewhat dismantle that mystique or that mm. defense, whatever you want to call it, of people saying, you don't understand what we have to do as cops. And it's like, well, let me take a look. And when you look at it, you say, okay, now I see what you're doing as a cop. How do you justify that? Yeah. Why Why is why is life like this? Celeste Katzmaston is our guest in Boston, where it's minus 30 at the moment, or it feels like minus 30, I'm reliably informed. <laughs> Okay, this is an extraordinary story as well, and this is happening in Massachusetts. A bill has been introduced or has been proposed that would cut prison time for prisoners if they become organ donors. This, 
Wow, what a what a choice to make. Where did the idea come from? Does it go on elsewhere? And do you think it's got any chance of getting through? You know, it's it's a really tough one. This is being advanced by a uh, few legislators in the uh, you know Massachusetts State House. One of them said uh, said that he was inspired by a friend who needs uh, dialysis for you know kidney problems uh, three or four times a week. He needs a transplant, and he's saying, "Look, what else can we do to expand the universe of potential donors? If people are in prison, they should also have the opportunity." Uh, to help other people. And certainly we have um, shortages or limits on donations in certain ethnic groups, uh, racial groups, and so on. So this is sort of on the, you know, one side of the argument, expanding the pool of people who could help somebody else save lives um, by donating organs or marrow or whatever it may be. And of course, the other side of the issue is, um, are you trading people's body parts for less time in prison. Exactly. I mean, is is it a total quid pro quo? Is that is that a decent thing to do? I mean, so if, before the judge passes sentence, he can say to the perpetrator or the person who's been convicted, "I'm going to give you ten years in jail. If you give me your kidney or your liver, I'll give you five years." I mean, that's wow. The ethical issues that have been opened up by that is phenomenal. What happens then to people on death row? Do you go to them and say? Oh, we really need your heart. Would you hurry up and, uh, you know, get executed? Like, that's, you know, you're going to take it to that extent, surely. Right. I mean, you can certainly extrapolate this out into all oh, We sorts extrapolate of, all like... the time on this show. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> and, and why not? I mean, there are serious, it raises tons of really serious moral and ethical questions. Uh, you know, there there shouldn't be... I mean, should there be an option, I should say, for trading away part of your prison sentence? I mean, if you think about it one way, this is sort of philosophical, but if you think about it, like when you go to prison, you are quote unquote paying your dues to society. Does it help pay your due to society in sort of, you know, sort of a metaphysical way to give away part of your body to help another person survive? Somebody who might have kids, somebody who might be suffering through an extremely painful chronic disease or something like that. Like, are you are you doing some greater good? OK, by why, doing why stop here? Why not say, OK, we need this person needs a kidney. This person needs a kidney is a good, good example because you can donate a kidney and you can work quite well with just one kidney. Um, why not offer people money for their kidneys? Why not say, I'll give you $10,000 for it? You're not in jail, but I'll give you $10,000 for your kidney. I mean, this is what we're trying to avoid, but we need more donations. Why, in this society we live in, why is this the only thing you can't buy? Right. Well, I mean, how do you put a price on life is sort of the question, right? And is a donation of an organ or a marrow or something like that, is that a gift for which there should not be a a dimension of transactionality? Do you give somebody a part of your body expecting a bunch of money? Like, yeah, look, don't get me wrong. There is a black market for, for organs. There is. People get, uh, you know, insanely angry and frustrated and depressed being on these very long transplant lists, trying to find a good match, trying to get matched with an organ in time, because there's obviously a limited amount of of uh, time to actually make that transfer. But uh, 
Well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't. This is sort of stuff that happens in China. The people on death row or in prison, I think maybe have. Well, we hear the story. I don't know if it's true or not. Forcibly have their uh, organs taken from them to give to people who need transplants. I mean, that is not a path we need to go down. But if you extrapolate this, maybe it is. Maybe if you are on death row or if you are in jail for life, what? well, hey, maybe they'll give you an extra TV in your cell or a TV in your cell if you donate a kidney. What's to stop that sort of stuff from happening? I, you know, is is there, I mean, I don't, I would hope that it doesn't get traded down. Like, I mean, this is a serious operation in which you could die. Yeah. I mean, what if you want to give somebody your, I don't know, like a skin graft or something yeah. in order to get like more snacks at the commissary or at the PX or whatever yeah. it's called? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that sounds like a lot. But I mean, there's also a question of, um, you know, do you get preferential treatment based on the condition or quality of your physical body? Like uh, I have something that somebody would want to buy. Like I have I want to be able to donate a kidney or I have a healthy yeah. liver. I want to be able to donate part of my liver. What about the guy who doesn't have who has, you know, some sort of chronic ailment or exactly. something like that and is not qualified to donate? Does that mean they don't get the extra two years shaved off their prison mm. sentence just because they're not? in such great shape but there's tons I know, of questions there's a million different uh in you know <laughs> directions is going and someone says how unfair would it be if people who'd already donated organs didn't get a reduced sentence but they might do it and then commit a crime because they knew they'd get a shorter sentence what about that huh. Huh. <sighs> i didn't think of that one wow there you go what a strange story uh we shall conclude perhaps with the story of clarendon the pig it's a one-year-old 100 pound pig uh, why is this making news in Boston? Yeah, this is a really weird one. So Clarendon the pig apparently was brought was brought to Boston or to the Boston area for a visit by a family member who then decided not to take him back home somewhere else in New England. And so now he's up for adoption and he's weighs about 100 pounds. He's going to get up to about 300 pounds, but they're trying to adopt him out. I'm presuming not to somebody who lives in like a studio apartment, but allegedly he has a sparkling personality and acts like a dog and wants to be your friend. I don't know. I think it's lovely. Uh, You know, I hope that Clarendon... (laughs) Find a wonderful new home. Look, there is one other thing we need to talk about. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that is Tom Brady. Tom Brady, America's most famous footballer, uh, the star of the New England Patriots before he moved to Tampa Bay, won a Super Bowl with them. He's now retired again. This time it looks like it will actually. He should have retired last year. He came back, um, didn't have a great season, made the playoffs, I think, and then didn't go any further. Um, but he's retired for good now. Will they welcome him back if he wanted to come to New England, come back to Boston? I th- the guy had, had reached such such mythological proportions. <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, in in New England, that uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, there there's still people that have, uh, you know, their Brady memorabilia and they're wearing their Brady jersey and all that stuff. I don't know. I mean. I don't want to be hasty about this because I don't know if he has plans to come back and retire again. So I don't want to speak out of turn because this, I don't know, three times he would won't definitely come be back. a trend story. Nah, he do, he, this is it. <laughs> he will go straight to the broadcast booth, as they say, probably at Fox or somewhere like that because he's a friend of Donald Trump. So, you know, uh, you know, he, why would you put yourself out there to get pummeled every weekend for th- four months or so 
when you can sit and watch other people being uh, pummeled and you get paid 10 times as much. I have successfully managed to avoid being pummeled and making 10 times as much <laughs> yeah. my entire life, and, and I think that's sort of the path I'm going to be on here. All righty. By the way, John says it could be a way of getting out of jail, piece by piece. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> One organ at a time. You wow. managed to escape jail. All righty. Celeste, thank you very much. Wonderful stories this week. We'll uh, stay warm. Stay warm. Apparently, it's only minus three. It feels like minus three, not minus 30. I'm reliably and unreliably informed. Stay warm, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Celeste Katz-Marston in Boston in the United States.